Welcome to another episode of Canon Calls. I'm your host, Jake McAtee, and this week I had the pleasure of speaking with Joffrey Swate, who is a friend in town. I brought Joffrey in to talk about uh, vlogging. Joffrey has a vlog that you can find on YouTube called Joffrey the Giant. He recently did a review of Doug's Ride Sally Ride, if that interests you, and for what it's worth, it's PG 13. Also, pipe smoking. He has written about pipe smoking uh, with one of our past guests, Pastor Yuri Brito. And additionally, he's also written poetry. So I wanted him to come in and talk about those. But as you will see, we only spoke about poetry. So Joffrey will come back on and fill us in on the rest sometime soon. But before that, I wanted to point you guys to one of our books on the canon shelf, The Roar on the Other Side. For all its storied past and lofty reputation, poetry is really just the art of noticing, naming, and comparing the stuff of this world. Suzanne Rhodes, a longtime poet and teacher, offers us this book as an intro guide to poetry for students. If poetry is totally brand new to you, or if you're already a lover of poetry, go get this book. Let Suzanne bring you into the shallow end and show you the joys of poetry. Get it at canonpress.com. Now, without further ado, meet Joffrey Swate. Welcome to another episode of Canon Calls. This week, we have a special guest, Joffrey Swate, who came in very quickly. Thanks for hanging out, man. Yeah, I'm pleased to be here. That's why I came quickly. <laughs> There's a few things that I wanted to track down with you that I think are awesome. And a couple of things, I've had a sort of a line of episodes about poetry. I feel like if anybody knew me growing up, I'm the last person to enjoy it. And for the longest time, I didn't get it. And some of my frustration was, I don't get it. And now I'm frustrated. Or, you know, like yeah, I felt yeah. like sort of the poet is trying to get one on me and I didn't like that. And come to find out, you have a book of poetry. Right, yeah. So I've had a couple guests on. Uh, I mean, no sweat. I had Billy Collins on, which was maybe the coolest 20 minutes of my life. Wow. So How did I not see that? Goodness. <laughs> it, it was a very funny episode because either, obviously, poetry is very niche. Either people who knew were, like, blown away or they didn't, you know, my parents were like, is it easy? So my goal is how do I get, or my question is how do I get, give a love of poetry to somebody else. Oh, wow. Yeah. It seems like difficult. So I thought we could maybe talk about you and how you came to like it. Yeah. Well, maybe it's something you always liked. I don't know. I had a public school uh, education, so it's, I, it's never anything I saw in school. What was your experience? You know, actually, my, uh, my daughter, who's a senior in high school, asked me that uh, this very week. Like, when did I start writing poetry? And uh, she asked because, I mean, I've been pushing poetry on them all their lives, yeah. you know, um, and, and there is a, a sense uh, in which I, I came to it in a way that felt sort of natural. But she asked because she had taken a creative writing class this summer. She thoroughly enjoyed. Um, she earned a lot of praise from her teacher. She's a good writer, but she doesn't really write much poetry. And she wrote a couple of prose poems without telling me that her teacher was quite pleased with. Uh, and she wanted me to read them. Uh, so I did. And, and I was, you know, suitably impressed. But I told her, you know, especially with this one, you should experiment with versifying it. 
you know, like, you know, it's, you know, not just prose, but this, this language is so dense and beautiful that you should, uh, you should just play with what it would look like in verse. Um, and, you know, so the next day out of nowhere, right. She, she asked me when I had gotten into poetry and, um, when I was 11, I started writing poetry. You were that 11 year old. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I just, I, I think that the reason I was, I was passionate about it. I mean, you know, my, we grew up in the eighties, uh, in another country with no TV. And, uh, because of my mom, you know, the house was full of C.S. Lewis and, and Tolkien. I remember, uh, some kids encyclopedias that were full of poetry as well. And so, although I'm less impressed with Emily Dickinson now as a, <laughs> as a, as a kid, you know, yeah. I just liked a lot of, you know, as a, a little six, seven year old, you know, it's just, it's just fun. I feel like she's perfect and, for that age. So, you know, like short <laughs> stuff. Boom. Yeah, you know, exactly. Short and like you get it, it rhymes. Yes. And if you start diving into her philosophy and all that, then you can become disenchanted <laughs> at a later yeah. age. Then you'll write bad poetry then. It yeah, doesn't exactly. rhyme. But yeah, even the poetry that sometimes I, I wouldn't, you know, there was a lot of stuff in Tolkien, just the songs and the ballads that I loved and a lot that I thought, you know, this is really boring. Uh, let's skip it and get to the story. I love how you're yeah. like, right, right. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. seriously. I, uh, I feel like people are like, there are songs until everybody skips that part. Yeah. It's just like, oh, right. okay. Well, I wasn't the kid who skipped them okay. until I'd read you a just, few lines. You read them and you're like, this is confirmed. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Boring. Right. But, you know, I, I think that kind of just prepared me to, you know, I, I lived a relatively isolated life, uh, because of how I was, I was brought up a, a life that really revolved around words. So. I started just, just writing poetry as a kid and I never stopped. As I've gotten older, the rate of writing has kind of slowed, but I consider myself a poet in the sense that, you know, and this may sound a little cheesy or, you know, just like, it, it may sound like something a poetry professor would say and everyone would roll their eyes, but I consider myself a poet in the same way that any man who can handle words should think of himself as a poet. The, you know, the book that was published, you know, I had been published in a couple of other places, but you know, a friend of mine got in touch with me. He owns a publishing house and I had stuff for him. Right. So I didn't have to say like a lot of people that I published my own, <laughs> like yeah. I'm not self-published, but also like, you know, I, I never sought being a, a published poet. I, I just wanted to write poetry and share it with my friends. Um, and I think that, that Christians have a responsibility to handle words well. And if they think that handling words well is simply stating truths and formulating propositions they're missing a big a big part of it you know the word is what creation is all about and creation is beautiful and it's an important thing to acknowledge that and to revel in that so as we as many creators should be you know playing with words and seeing that that play with words isn't just fun it's beautiful it makes your life better if I can write a poem. And it makes you more like Jesus if I can write a poem that is truly beautiful and skillful and evokes something from you. So if you were to be talking, and I'm sure you've probably done this before, so maybe you can just report to how you did that. But if you were talking to somebody who poetry, I mean, like they sing pop songs or something, but in terms of like formal poetry, what would be your advice to like broaden your tastes? get out there like how, how do you talk to somebody like that yeah well sometimes i recommend specific poets and you know billy collins is uh actually derided by some snobs because he's so accessible right so i might uh 
I might recommend some accessible poets, but really uh, the way to discover, and this is complicated because, you know, just of the world we live in and, and, and art scene, I guess you could say the way it is, but you can't know if you like poetry unless you hear poetry performed and see poetry performed. Uh, so I would, I would encourage people to, to make that happen one way or another. Now, yeah. obviously, there's a lot of trash out there. You go open mics, say, but here's what I love so far. <laughs> I mean, like what I because my goal, it may have seemed like a kindness in terms of like getting more people into it. But I love that you went. It's a Christian art. Your life will be better. There's value in it. I want that kind of guilt. I want yeah, like yeah. people who don't like it tonight. Just wondering, like, <laughs> I feel bad about <laughs> but my sanctification. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so I'm interested in the guilt. But then and then I think I definitely agree with you about seeing it performed, especially Billy Collins. It sounds, if you ever hear Billy Collins live, it sounds like he's doing a set, like a comedy set. Right. You know, people love his stuff. Very funny. But I immediately, when you said that, uh, even, barely, even me, I thought of the, uh, so I married an axe murderer. Yes. Uh, Woman. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Or like, you know, some derivative of that where everybody's very stone faced and somebody's like really telling it like it is. Right. Yes. I don't know. And it's like, I I can't do that. And I, so, uh, where would you, I mean, obviously we've talked about Billy Collins, but, uh, do you, do you go there? Where do you go when you think? Yeah. Well, I mean like T.S. Eliot, he, he wrote a lot of poetry that has inspired the, the belly button gazing uh, of of uh, the last many decades, but you know he wrote plays after he became a Christian, plays and verse, and you know really I think any good poetry can and should be performed publicly, and the writer of poetry ought to think about how he would be saying it as he writes that, and I think that even goes of loose forms and free form poetry. I don't think you should write that way until you've mastered some forms. The same way you sh- you know you can't call yourself a painter. Uh, with you know just a, a red canvas unless you can actually paint something and you've made the decision that this red canvas says something if all you can paint is a red canvas you're not a painter and i think the same goes for poetry so that you know that takes practice but it needs to be a public art form and when, when poetry stopped being a public art form it kind of stopped being christian there are a lot of things that, that get written not poetry just you know much ink is spilled in every arena and some of that really is just for cerebral absorption but certain things just simply are not um you know if if you're going to share the gospel a blog post can work but that's not how to do it um and you know of course there are are many many public ways to, to share the gospel but it's about relationship it's about connecting it's about looking someone in the eyes and telling them a thing and you know poetry can be a very compelling way to tell them a thing do you remember maybe the first time you thought do you remember where you just thought like that was awesome? Like mm. that was that was perfect. Yeah. Um the first poet I like fell in love with was Gerard Manley Hopkins, Gerard Manley Hopkins, uh a Jesuit priest who wrote in the second half of the 19th century. And he was friends with uh Robert Bridges who uh, became the poet laureate of England years after Hopkins had died. And uh, Hopkins published very few poems. The ones that he did publish, I don't really like, uh, because he believed that his poetry was an expression of his vanity. And it conflicted with the whole reason he had become a Jesuit priest. But he wrote, because he wasn't writing to please publishers, he just wrote whatever he wanted. And 
he took a lot of inspiration from Milton, what he called sprung rhythm and Milton, which, you know, Milton doesn't, uh, he, he uses a, a broader, almost like Anglo-Saxon sort of rhythm where it's about the rhythm, the stresses that are emerging in the sentence, not counting feet by syllable necessarily. Hopkins did that and he threw in a bunch of alliteration and it just feels really Saxon. And it's, it's, you could rap a lot of his, I've read say, some of his poems, yeah. almost rap styled people and blown them away. But so his stuff wasn't published until 1918, I think it was. So, you know, he basically skipped two generations of poets to great acclaim uh, and influenced a lot of a lot of the good and the bad that came since. But he is, uh, I think, an unmitigated good for poetry. Uh, so, yeah, that was he was one I fell in love with. It almost feels weirder just to read it in your head. It, you almost have to like it feels like an endless. Uh, yeah, I, I just remember being like, man, Pied Beauty was awesome after i said it out loud right yeah in a way that i wasn't translating and i think if you're used to reading out loud um then you know your head voice becomes more real you know you can you can you can train that but if you're used to reading everything which a lot of us are if you're used to reading everything um just to yourself you never read out loud then you know your your yeah your head voice just doesn't quite develop so reading it reading out loud can really help but then you can run into problems with enunciation and some people don't read well enough to keep the rhythms and to notice the rhythm. So a lot of it is just paying attention to language, paying attention to how you speak, trying to say things occasionally with rhythm or with alliteration. Um, and, and you can develop both the skill to produce, but also the, the ears to recognize that sort of thing. Do you think the form is uniquely like when I think of I'm in the millennial generation and there are forms that I think like this is the worst form for my generation. Or, you know, it feels like this is the one where we're going to say, we're like, turn the angst all the way to the very top. Uh, you know, there are forms that I think, oh, man, my generation is going to love this one. We'll probably ruin it. But do you think it's unique in that? Do you think, like, if poetry has a unique way to be largely bad, except for when it's good? Or do you think all the forms? Does that make sense? Or all the forms like that? You mean uh, forms, uh, specific forms of poems? Like, or do you mean poetry as a form? Poetry as a form amongst. Right. You, you even brought up prose poetry, you know, creative nonfiction in that realm, yes. like Annie Dilliard or something like that, uh, or just prose novels. Yeah. I, I think the written word is entering a phase of crisis, which is another reason for poets to embrace it as spoken. The written word has seen its heyday, and it was your dad's time, right? It's, it's very recent, but it's, we can already see, see the death of it. And as a lover of language, I have no problem with that. Um, I'm okay with fewer, but we actually produce more books now than, you know, each year we sell more books than in all the preceding centuries. When was the last time you were at Barnes and Noble? <laughs> right. Yeah, like, exactly. Who are all these people? Yeah, right. Exactly. Who are all these published authors? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you know, and, and kids reading 500 page books, you know, and, and they're not nerds, you know, but it's still, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very confident in saying that we've entered a, a phase of whatever the electronic media are. Um, you know, and as our skill in, in reading as a society goes down, we're going to read less and less. For poetry, that's okay. It actually makes it almost more relevant. You know, the novel may begin to go away and be replaced by other forms of long narrative uh, that are not written down. Uh, but poetry never had to be written down. Right? There's a lot of poetry that we still study today that was only written down way later because someone had already made it, right? So yeah, I think uh, I think it's 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 really key to think of it as performance art. And if you read my poetry, I mean, I've written something specifically to be performed. 
Um, but most, you know, I didn't. And I'm quite happy. I love it if you just read it on the page. But I didn't write it for that. Everything I wrote, I wrote to read to you. Do you think poetry's always been tough on people in ways that it's tough now? Or do no. you think it, it's a very particular toughness for us today? I, well, I think it's probably a, a little bit of both. Um, there's, a, there's a lot more, there are many more kinds of poetry now than you know, there, there might have been before. So, you know, in the last 600 years, there's, you know, there, there was a proliferation of poetry types. Poetry a thousand years ago, 2000 years ago in most societies would have been, um, I'm going to tell you the stories now, right? And the stories have rhythm. The stories have a density that is poetic. And when you start writing a villanelle, right, then uh, all of a sudden you're, you're talking about something else. And, and I do think that a lot of writers uh, get lost in the form. They allow the form to dominate them. And so, so those so sorts of poems are difficult. They are inaccessible. I hate any of Milton's poetry with Italian titles. And I, and I love Paradise Lost. But like, what are you doing? You know, it just... But, you know, he was, he was writing for a very narrow audience to tickle them in a way that he knew they wanted to be tickled in. You know, whether he liked it or not, he may have. I don't know enough about Milton to... But it, he wasn't trying to talk to me. Uh, he certainly wasn't trying to talk to the people of this town the way, say, someone like Shakespeare was. And, and Shakespeare is genius, right? So you can be genius and, and be accessible. So I, I think that, that there is definitely a perception that poetry is inaccessible because some poets are inaccessible. The same way so many, you, know, you, you go to a museum of, of visual art and you have to read four paragraphs, put in a sign next to the painting to understand it. That's bad painting. Even as you said, the uh, Shakespeare piece, I, I imagine in any like Shakespeare book or whatever, you're going to have that paragraph about, you know, people think of the theater as a very hoity-toity place. Right. Of course, you know, they were animals. <laughs> you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's what you get with art for art's sake. Uh, and that's what you get when artists talk to artists. Uh, I think you know, Tom Wolfe is actually a, a great author to uh, read about that. But you know, once you get incestuous and turned in like that, once you're not trying to talk to anyone who's not like you anymore, you know, it, it, it poisons the art. Um, and so, yeah, you shouldn't do that and you shouldn't read or engage with art that does that because they're trying to suck you in. They're trying to suck you into their darkness. Right. And they're not pretending otherwise. They want everyone else to, to be in the same dark place with them. And it's kind of gross, but it's not limited to poetry. Right. That's just right. art. Right. So that was kind of I feel like poetry is picked on often as the navel gazing, angsty place, which it can be. Yeah. Well, and but, I, I, sometimes I write poems like that. And, right. you know, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Guilty. Yeah. Guilty. Yeah. But yeah, it feels like there's terrible novels written every day. You mentioned that you feel confident that the word is kind of out to pasture. The written word. The written word. I'm right. actually wearing a shirt uh, right now, which no one can see except you. Yeah, uh, from I can't an, read it. So. Right, because well, it's in Spanish, yes. But, <laughs> so it doesn't do anybody <laughs> but else I'm going to tell you about it. Okay. The shirt I'm wearing is from a ministry called Faith Comes by Hearing. Uh, they do audio Bibles. Um, so a new translation of a new language comes out. Uh, there's a missionary here in town who worked on the Bakwe language for years. Uh, I was actually on the team that helped, helped make that recording happen. The Bible's not going to go away when there are a few print Bibles to be found, as long as the people of God, you know, keep the Bible alive in the many ways it's, it can be kept alive. Uh, and actually, uh, you know, a lot of churches don't read the Bible out loud. What, what are you even doing? So it doesn't actually make me mad when people who can't read press a button. 
for the Bible to be read out loud to them. Is it ideal? No, but it is still the word of God. Um, and so, you know, stories are still going to be stories regardless of how they're told. What I look forward to, you know, I, know I just said stories, so I can put poems next to that. But what I look forward to evolving are the Christian art forms that maximize that. All right. Right now we're in this awkward middle of people don't engage with the written word in the same way. You know, if they do like, you know, novels are doing great right now. Uh, but there's a reason for that. They're kind of fluffy. And that's certainly the, w- the way they're produced now. Like if you're writing serious literature, it's much more niche and that's going to continue to shrink. But storytelling is not going away. Right. And I think that there are ways in which we're going to see Christians start to emerge and be making verbal art that's not written. Uh, right now, it's a lot of stopgap stuff. But it's going to be a beautiful thing, and I don't, I don't mind. I mean, I know I'm in <laughs> a publishing house, yes. and I'm surrounded by stacks <laughs> of books right now. Uh, but um, it doesn't bother me. And I used to own a bookstore. I love books. I love the smell of books. It doesn't bother me to think that a thousand years from now, books won't be around as long as the people of God are thinking and expressing and creating. Absolutely. And there's no doubt, even being in this publishing house, that this is a thing that we do now. It wasn't, this wasn't done five years ago or mm-hmm. Doug's blog moving to audio. You know, those numbers are now way outrunning. Right, right. You know, that so it's, it's, me. it's uh, it does seem like if you're not adapting, it won't work. So, uh, so you are actually optimistic despite changes. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it, it all comes down to the Holy Spirit and the revival of the church, right? I mean, you know, the church in the West is shriveling, but the church of Christ is triumphing. Um, so, yeah, I am optimistic. I do get a little sad sometimes when I think about Anglo-Saxon culture, uh, but that's okay. All things must pass. What I, I think that's what it's for. I think they would think they achieved it. Or, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you do a yeah. thing. It's the right. achieve of the thing. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So I was like, you get it. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the long sad. Um, so, do you know who the U.S. Poet Laureate is right now? I don't. I don't either. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been a great question at a good talking point. <laughs> no, but I actually made my point. I, do you think there will ever be a poet on a national scale that matters like Pushkin did to Russia? Or Oh, goodness. Well, you know, I don't know if, if Americans are ready for that. Uh, you know, we've mentioned Billy Collins several times. I think he was by far the most popular and popularly known poet laureate of, you know, I can't think of one who was more. The American people are not a particularly poetic people. And, you know, this probably touches on, on the kind of the, the comment I made about being sad for, for Anglo-Saxon culture and the, the long sad. I mean, I think our forms of expression and of hearing are, are, are diminishing and uh, we're, we're fading into the shadows. But, you know, th- those things can come and go. I was amazed with the uh, most recent time I was in Chile where I have family. I, uh, I turned on the radio and it was a major radio station in the middle of, of the band of, you know, the, the, uh, for tuning. And um, they were talking about poetry. And then they started talking about some artsy movie. And then they started playing music. And it was the Smiths, you know. So I don't know if you know what the Smiths are, but it was just, you know, their Chilean culture is very literary, extremely literary. You know, so is Argentinian culture. But there are other Latin cultures that are not literary. They're artistic in other ways, right? I, I don't know what American artistic culture is. I think it's quite hodgepodged. 
And to be quite honest, I think possibly overwhelmed by all the consumption and all the godlessness. With American letters, there's a, I don't want to use the word practical, but there, there's a sort of starkness, uh, which can be attractive in its own way. Um, you know, just the same way you can stereotype Russian letters or, right, but there's something practical about it, right? It's, it's stark for a reason. Uh, there's sort of a no-nonsense. Even, even with like Mark Twain, you see that. And that doesn't lead to poetry, right? Poetry doesn't have to be Baroque and, uh, you know, full of odd angles and, and fun curls. It, it doesn't have to be. But poetry is, is play. Even when it's serious, even when it's earnest, you're still playing with the language. And yeah, I'm just not sure if Americans are, are playful enough. Americans smile a lot, but I don't know if they're playful enough to is really... It, is it sort of like the, um, like when you see a white guy on the street and they kind of, like that, <laughs> like the pursed lips thing where they would... No, this? no. You um, mean like genuinely... Yeah, actually, so this is, so I've worked with internationals my, my whole life and, uh, and I've done a little bit of reading on it as well. I've also done a lot of business coaching uh, for, for international business people and... Um, Kind of across the board, everyone notes that Americans smile a lot. What, what Yankees say about Southerners is what other people say about Yankees, about Americans. Uh, Americans have a habit that I actually find quite charming. I really like it and I defend it to people, you know, to foreigners who, who uh, see it the wrong way. Or, uh, but uh, uh, Americans smile with their teeth. Okay. Uh, yeah. All the time. You're doing it at me now before you were laughing. Um, yeah, all the time. Yeah, well, you know, and it's, uh, it was a shock for my wife when we moved to Brazil and everyone seemed so serious to her and they weren't. They weren't, you know, but they just weren't smiling as much. And I think the reason we do it, I'm, I'm, I'm American too, is uh, we are trying to be disarming, right? We're trying to show that we're not here to fight you. But, you know, the, the, it produces a real friendliness, you know, in the same way I, you know, I, I, I tell Northerners that, you know, Southerners are super friendly to your face and won't tell you what's on their mind because they think it's rude. They are being nice. You call it fake. That's what's nice to them, <laughs> right? And, and it, you can find it charming if you decide to, right? Just live in it. And, you know, and I, 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 do, tell, I do tell Germans and Russians to, to find it charming and Americans <laughs> that they smile so much. But uh, yeah, that was a, a total aside. Would to think that it's disingenuous? Yes. Either that is disingenuous or one thing, there has been scholarship on this that it's associated with being dumb that's fair i mean yeah which is and that's that's one of the perceptions that people enjoy having sure. about americans abroad oh look at the stupid american right and i honestly think that the habit of smiling is it feeds into that right because if, if a frenchman sees a frenchman smiling for no reason he's gonna think that guy's kind of dumb and it's not even conscious it's just a cultural cue so we go around smiling all over the world and uh you know, sometimes it's sinister, but mostly it's just right. I mean, it does have a bit of a holy fool vibe to it. Yeah, you know, sure. Like a very the idiot kind of. Yeah, thinking, you know what I mean. Like the yeah, the one time a Russian kind of like tried yeah. his hand at it, he was like, "I'll call it the idiot." Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and we're like, "What's wrong?" I mean, it's just smiling. Yeah, he just seems like a nice guy. Um, I mean, was there a form? Do you feel like? I mean, it sounds like you were well-rounded writing poetry at eleven. Maybe movies are, are the type of art that I had to had to mature into. Um, and, and, and to look at uh, with, with different eyes. I mean, my, my family was an academic, letters-oriented family. Yeah. Uh, but there are, I, I also think there's a, a sense in which, really, what I, I think what we should be striving to do, you know, I, I mentioned at the beginning uh, of this podcast that, 
know, I consider myself a poet in the same way. I think, you know, all anyone with a minimum of skill in letters should like you should make things. And so, you know, we should be trying to make things. And that means that we engage with creations and the creations of men in a thoughtful way, because we're not necessarily thinking I could do this better, but we have an appreciation for what it takes to make it. We don't just right when you know how to cook the impressive dish is so much more impressive. And when you know how to cook, the subtle dish is so much more impressive, right? Because you see what's been done, even if you couldn't do it yourself. That being said, you know, there's a limit to how much we can go after. And because of that, I actually think we need to appreciate, we we need to come to appreciating various forms of art through our own ability to create and the fact that God has made us many creators. So for example, uh, I love music. I devour music. I am almost unable to appreciate music outside of lyrics. Songs are lyrics to me. You don't just like the beat. Well, it's not. Well, see, you're, you're, yeah, but you're, you're looking at it that th- the wrong way. I'm, I'm actually saying that it's a limitation. Got it. I'm incapable okay. of listening to music without words Got and it. enjoying it. Now, it's not that the music itself doesn't influence me. It yeah. does. Like a happy tune will make me happy and a sad tune will make me sad. Not only can I not explain the science and craft behind that, I don't really even appreciate it. I don't have a trained ear and I've made some attempts and I'm still trying to better myself in that way. But I also recognize that I'm made a certain way. You know, my wife's made another. My wife's a painter. So she's a skilled visual artist. Her formal education was in painting. And, you know, she is a very visual thinker in a way that I would hate to be <laughs> because I see the, the limitations, yep. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She can do things and I don't mean executing. She can have thoughts and thought processes that I could never could. And you know, the same is true in the other direction, but you know, I kind of like the way I am. I like her to be the way she is. I love that. Right. But, uh, but she, she's quite alien from me. And I think we're kind of, you know, two ex- two extremes in that sense. And I don't think most couples are, are that way, but every human, has a unique mind and unique gifts. First of all, I don't think you should feel guilty about being unable to appreciate something as long as you're not hiding from it. But then I also think you should be trying to, to make and enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay if you find your wheelhouse. Kind of guilty, but not guilty. Exactly. Well, you're, you're playing football and you're the quick guy. I mean, you're going to play cornerback. Yeah. Fair. And sometimes you have to make a tackle up the middle when the fullback breaks through. But you don't like doing it and you know you're not the best at it. You just know in that moment you yeah. had to do it, right? right. And that's, um, I don't want to know football analogies in art, but. Uh, well, no, I appreciate <laughs> it. Football's back and, uh, you know, that was an apt. Yeah. That was apt. That was apt. <laughs> this Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, awesome. So what is the title of your book? Well Met, Poems of Companionship. What year did you publish? Uh, I think it was 17. Okay. Yeah, and it's, it's called you know, Poems of Companionship because I really, you know, that's, that was the line I was delivering earlier in the, in the podcast. I, I, I think I want poetry to be communal and I, my favorite poems in there are not the best ones. My favorite poems are the ones that were commissioned for a Thanksgiving feast three years in a row. They asked me. What Thanksgiving to, dinners are you going to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, it was, this is in South Carolina. They would invite like 40 families and they would have stone throwing contests and all sorts of people would wear kilts. And, and I would read an, a, a big poem about Thanksgiving. Uh, and so I wrote, I wrote poems uh, commissioned for that. But you know, those to me were, you know, they're not the best poems I ever wrote, but I love them because it was a big party. Beer was flowing. 
everybody was really, really full and really happy. And, you know, men, women, and children sat down and heard these poems. And actually, I wrote them with cheers and things, you know, for the crowd to participate in. Um, because I, you know, that's, that's the thing I want out of, out of poetry. So yeah, poems of, of companionship, there's belly button gazing, there's stuff about my dead mom and whatnot, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's for, it's for it's companionship. A, it's, okay. Yeah. You got to yeah, check that box. Out. It checks out. It's a poetry, <laughs> it's a poetry book. Um, and then can people find it everywhere? Yeah, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, at this point, it's on, uh, you know, it's a, it's a print on demand sort of thing now. The publisher shifted it. So yeah, but that does mean you can get a hard copy, whatever you want. And I think you can still buy it directly from uh, from Jovial Press. Dot com, I assume. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize it was here to promo yeah, my book. Sorry, yeah, well, Jovial you know, Press, sure, I don't know what the website is. I want to make sure people heard you talk about it and want to get your poetry. Yeah, um, yeah. I appreciate that. And I'm going to ask you to finish with one if, if you're comfortable. Oh, with yeah. And then, but before you do, anything else you'd recommend? Billy Collins has been talked about a lot. Is there any other poets that you would say? Go hang out with that guy. Yeah, honestly, I love T.S. Eliot, and okay. I, I like... You went straight for the villain. You think he's a villain, huh? No, no. Yeah, I, let's I like duke him. It out, I dude. think everybody <laughs> after him has not done uh, well with what he did. Yeah, you know, that's right. And, and actually, it's significant that he became a Christian. Right. Right. And, and that's the poetry that the critics ignore, yep. that will never be in a high school textbook. Right. Right. Uh, but that stuff is actually richer and better. Like, I enjoy it because I know that Jesus found him. So what I would actually say, especially if you're beginning, read a couple of his plays. I think he, he only wrote two, but, uh, you know, T.S. Eliot can be famously dense, right? So don't read his early stuff if you're starting out, but uh, I think you'll come to enjoy that. And he's written some fun stuff, um, you know, stuff about flying hippos in the church. But, uh, but yeah, <laughs> a murder in the cathedral, I guess, would be what I, you know, read murder in the cathedral and read it like you're reading a novel. Don't try to find the poetry. The poetry will just find you. Yeah. Okay. So T.S. Eliot, Billy Collins, and then go get this book from Jovial Press. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Go ahead. I'll read something that, uh, well, it's kind of free versy, just so that those who love sonnets can relate. There, 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 <laughs> are, sonnets say, yeah. in, there are sonnets in this collection, but I'm not going to go easy on you guys. All right. This is uh, based on Hosea chapter 9. Curse of Womb. Our friends' necks are outstretched, our neighbors plot against us. They have served their belly god of fire, coming down from killing their babies. They tip off policemen, kindly seize our children. Where is he? Thunder is his voice, but where is he? An abundance of horses. Their dust shall cover us, our walls shake at the noise of horsemen, of chariots. I make thee desolate. He said that. Ephraim is smitten from the birth, from the womb, even from conception. Like a bird, our glory flies away. To Baal Peor, wanton rights, homicides to Moloch. We bring up our children, but he bereaves us. We bring forth our children, planted in pleasant place, to murders. Give us, Lord, what wilt give? Miscarrying womb, dry breasts, roots dried up, bear not fruit. We bring forth, he will slay, even fruit, beloved fruit of womb. Policemen kindly seize our children, voices heard in Rama. Belly God consumes them because us, because we climbed the heights, sacred trees, and played whore. Our friends next plot against us. We shall be wanderers among them, the nations, till he save, till he save, till he saves us. Fantastic. 
Thank you. Fantastic. And I, I think uh, we didn't really touch this one, but I think if anybody thought um, generally poetry is a very effeminate art, it's been not been the case in history. No, that's right. Yes. And I thought that was a great represent. I mean, yeah, that'd be tough for an effeminate. It was hard for me not to read one of the Thanksgiving poems because <laughs> there's a lot of beer in those, but yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, everybody can go find that on Amazon, probably the easy spot. And Joffrey, thanks so much. I had other things for us to talk about, but that was awesome. Uh, would you come back? I would. Okay. All right. Perfect. Thanks, man. Cheers. Cheers.